Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the That's right, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Continuing on my series of conversations with people that I have the great honor and privilege of doing life with through the various products and services that I offer. Today, we have on the line my great friend, Paul Thompson. Paul, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you on here. And, you know, the thing is, is that I have made a decision to bring people on that I've had this pleasure of working with. But specifically, I'm I'm starting off with people who are taking action in life, people who are doing exciting things that inspire even me. And Paul, you are certainly one of those people. And I want to give people an opportunity to get to know you and what you're doing. But more importantly, I think I'd like to find out for myself and also maybe see if some other folks can learn about what motivates you and what drives you to be the person you are and how you show up in the world. How's that? All? Do you think we can accomplish that in maybe a one hour conversation? I'm looking forward to it. I can't, I can't wait. All right. So real quickly, Paul, um, did we work together in any way, shape or form before the Next Level Mastermind? No, we did not. All right. So how did you go, to, how did you go about launching your podcast recently? The podcast that I started, I started in January of this year, and that was about a month after joining the Next Level Mastermind, which is funny. I had no specific plans to do a mastermind. I'm sorry, to do a podcast when I started the Next Level Mastermind. And what's funny is only after being in the guy who was transitioning away from doing uh, podcasting that I thought, well, you know what, I should do a podcast too. Well, you do have a podcast. And what's amazing is that um, very few people, I would say maybe 20% of those who launch a podcast has a podcast that that just hits, comes out of the gate as sounding as great, as highly produced as your show is. As far as the quality of the content, the sound of the content, just overall production value. Real quickly, what is your podcast for folks? The podcast I have is called Ready Investor One, and it's about how to break free from the what I call the real world matrix using real estate as a passive income stream. Okay, so Ready so it's re- I was going to say Ready Player One because obviously yep. that's where you got the name, the inspiration. Yep. But uh, Ready Investor One, and it's for people. Well, who is it for? Is it for people who are already in the world, like deep, heavy into the world of real estate investing? Who's who's the exact ideal customer that you want to attract to this particular podcast? My ideal customer is me three years ago. So uh, three years ago, I was a busy professional and did not have any sort of um, investments in real estate and discovered that I really wanted to create a way, engineer a way out of having to do a traditional nine to five W2 job. And I found real estate was a good way to do that. And all the trials and tribulations I went through and all the learning that I did during those three years, I've distilled into a series of lessons. And that's what what I share to other people wanting to go through the same journey. So you're telling me three years ago, you didn't have any real estate investments at all. That's right. And you had a corporate gig. What did you do? What What was your occupation three years ago? I was a computer engineer by training and I was in middle management at that point. So I was working for a telecommunications company and you know, it wasn't altogether a horrible place to work or a bad, but if I didn't go, they stopped paying me. So I, I really wanted to figure out a way to where I had the control of my life where I could, well, like yesterday, I, my kids were out of school for a, a holiday. I didn't work yesterday because I could, I didn't have to ask anybody's permission not to work. So what kind of, I mean, what kind of, you said minimum, middle management, but three years ago, walk me back that time. There's no real estate investing going on whatsoever. You walk in, it's Tuesday afternoon. And, <laughs> and what, what does a typical day look like for you in that day job? Oh, and at that time I was 
uh, you know, I had several employees that worked for me. They worked all, we use, ironically, we use Zoom uh, all over the world to talk to um, computer programmers and, and they were actually really accomplished, smart people, but they all had this, this, um, this requirement, this expectation, including myself, of working 50, 60 hours a week pretty consistently. And we would go on a call because we would take care of computer systems. And if they crashed, you know, you had to take care of them. They were important to other people's businesses. And it's the typical corporate America world where uh, you get two or three weeks vacation and you never take two weeks in a row. And that was the big kind of seminal moment for me is like one time I was coming back from a vacation and I wanted to stay longer and my kids wanted to stay longer. My kids were out of school. My wife didn't work. And the only reason that I had to go back and leave the the beach was to go back to work. And it was ironic as I was working for a telecommunications company that, that created just the very technology that you and I are working on right now, but they had a corporate policy that you had to be in the seat at work. I couldn't ask for it. I'll work. I'm not going to not do my job, but I just want to stay here so my kids can stay at the beach. That wasn't an option. So you, so you had to be at a physical location every single work day and, and had no flexibility. All right. So, okay. So three years ago, you didn't have any real estate investing properties or anything of that nature. When, when did you discover the world of real estate investing? How long ago? I would say I had thought about it for, you know, since before 2005 and, but I I didn't know how to do it. And for me and my wife became agents for a really short time, thinking that that would be how you would um, be, learn more about real estate. And it turns out that all it teaches you how to be a real estate agent, not be a real estate investor. Uh, So it was one of those things that I kind of flirted with off and on for a long time. And all, you know, we all have these, these fantasies or these dreams about the future, about what could be, or, Oh, I wish I could. And then you get, you got to pay the mortgage. You need to go to work. And then you get, get caught up in all of life's little details. Um, and then you wake up in your you know mid thirties and you're like, I haven't done any of those things I've been thinking about. And I'm tired of this um, kind of uh, arrangement where I have no control. I was completely beholden to the corporate gig. And I felt that sooner or later that job would not be there. I live in a relatively small market in Little Rock, Arkansas. And if I don't, if I, if my job there didn't, didn't pan out for some reason for to me to make a similar uh, uh, income, I would not be able to stay in Little Rock. I would have to either change industries or I'd have to change locations to find a job someplace else. I didn't want to move. So I decided to change industries myself in advance in the event that, that the job didn't work out. So when, so it was, 2005, you've been dabbling with the idea. When, when were you first uh, introduced to this idea of, of real estate investing as an alternative way of generating income? Well, back in the early 2000s, I was always thinking about, you know, it really would make sense to invest. And so I've always invested in the stock market in some way, uh, Cliff, but I, I didn't really, you really can't control your, your, the outcome with that. Um, and you, and you can only invest as much as you're able to save. And so with what I discovered with um, when you're building a business or starting in real estate, which have some similarities, um, you can basically take your own intellectual capital and put your own knowledge and interest into it and grow it over and above what capital you have to start with. So it's a way to juice your returns um, by, you know, if, if you make a hundred thousand dollars and you spend 80, you keep 20, you can invest $20,000. Well, in, in a small, if you're starting a podcast or, you know, you know, buying a rental property, you can basically leverage other people's skills. You can leverage other, other people's money and you can create, you kind of, kind of print income. You can print money in a way that you can't by just buying a, a, a stock. Well, give me an example of that. Cause, cause that all sounds pretty nebulous to me, the uninitiated. I, I, I'm com- like, how do you borrow somebody else's capital and invest it and where you benefit and and stuff like that. Give give me just a basic example of that. Okay. Yeah. So a general example, and when you're thinking about um, investments and this can, this is true for really any business, but real estate is just um, happens to be well set up for it because we we all, we're all comfortable with the idea that you get a mortgage when you buy a house. We, we, We know how that works in principle. 
But you can do also do that with a rental income property by buying a property, random example, say it's worth $100,000. You shop around and you find a property that has needs some repair and you buy it for, say, $80,000. Um, now you've, you know, you can rent that property for a hundred. But when you buy it for $80,000, you can actually borrow, say, $70,000 of it and only put $10,000 of your own money into it. And so what you've done is you've leveraged the $70,000 from another, from a bank perhaps, or from a private party. And then you're only putting $10,000 into it, plus whatever money is necessary to get it up to rentable condition. And then somebody else then pays you $1,000 and say your, your mortgage payment is 500 bucks. So now you're, you're creating a little bit of a cash flow. All your expenses are covered by the renter. And then there's a few hundred dollars per month left over for you as income. Okay, so see if I, I I'm really terrible at live math. So I'm I'm glad you're throwing yeah. out numbers all over the place here, and not <laughs> me. But so the thing is, is that you find you find a, a piece of property that's worth a hundred thousand if everything were up to snuff. But you yep. you buy one for seventy, mm-hmm. you you borrow sixty, mm-hmm. and you put ten of your own in. So for, for $10,000 of your own capital that you have right now, plus you're going 60 grand in debt. But, right. but still, the thing is, is that the idea is that you're going to put some money. Now, wait a second. Do you, you, put the, you put the $10,000 to buy it, but it still needs some upgrades, right? Yep. It needs to be fixed up. It still needs up. upgrades. You put maybe five to $10,000 worth of improvements into the property. Okay, the so, paint, carpet, so, that kind of thing. Yeah. So now you're at 20 grand of your own capital, mm-hmm. all right? So mm-hmm. now you got $20,000 invested with the down payment and the upgrades. You've got a $60,000 mortgage on this thing. Correct, but you're but you say now you rent it at a hundred thousand. The thing is, you don't rent it at a hundred thousand. You you could maybe sell it for a hundred thousand if it's all. Fixed no, you rent up. it for a thousand. You rent it for a thousand dollars a month. So you rent it for a thousand dollars a month. Right. All right. But your but your your mortgage is five hundred. Right. So right. save five hundred. Now the thing is, is you have to take the um, the how how do you figure out like how do you do? I don't know if the word amortize taxes and insurance. Well, ta- yeah, well, well you- taxes and insurance, but also how do you figure out like when are you going to recoup the extra ten thousand on top of for the for the improvements? When when do you when do you all of a sudden are when are you cash flow positive with your twenty thousand dollars? Oh, so um, so it's 20, so you're, you're trying you're, to get your your capital back, basically. Yeah, um, and so it takes a while. So let's say you're getting a ten percent return per year. It would take you ten years to get your money back. And and just if you're just doing a simple straight line math, uh, but that's typically not not just the way you look at it. You're looking at um, how much um, return on investment am I getting on that ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars, say? So you're getting maybe eight, ten, twelve percent return on that money every year. Um, but then also the the factor that people don't also fa- think about and is you also are getting all the other benefits of real estate is now you are controlling a hundred thousand dollar asset by only putting in twenty thousand dollars of your own money yes you're borrowing 60 but you also bought the property at a discount so you got 20 percent of equity built in the property and every time you make a mortgage payment that you're in this case is being funded by your rent you're paying a little bit down on that mortgage every year and that is amortization. And so um, you're getting more equity every month. And so you're getting a, your, your net worth is growing a little bit by every, every time a renter is paying your mortgage for you. So that's another kind of quadrant of income that real estate offers. So it, it, even in the early stages of that, let's just say with your 10,000, but you, you had to have the $20,000 to, to put yeah. your own deposit down and the upgrades to the place. But, but let that, you're going to put that $20,000 into the stock market versus um, mm-hmm. this real estate investment, right? Correct. So you're, for you to be able to invest, you're going to, ha- you're going to be without your twenty grand either way. Correct. Okay. Correct. Now, the, the thing is, though, is what I'm understanding is that as soon as the upgrades are complete and I'm running this thing out at $1,000 per month, mm-hmm. if, my, if, if the uh, mortgage payment is 500 and let's just say it's another $100 per month for the insurance and all that other stuff, mm-hmm. and then the taxes, let's just say it's another, let's say it's $200 a month for taxes sure. and insurance. So that means that now, now I have $300 per month cash coming into me. Right. Now, technically, I could put that extra 
$300 a month per cast towards the the mortgage. mortgage. But yeah. the but the idea is that even with the mortgage, it's a fixed mortgage, so that's a guaranteed if yeah. you will $300 per month coming in. Is Correct. that what I'm hearing? Yes. You you got the the principle of exactly right. Okay. So so the idea is that if you have 20 grand sitting around, it's it, it that it, I can see where that would be an appealing thing, except for the fact that, well, now don't you have to manage a rental property yes. that you didn't have to manage before? Yes, you is, sure do. Is and that worth $300 a month? And, and how much time, effort, and energy does it take to manage a $100,000 piece of property that's being rented out? It's a lot more than a stock, than, than a stock, I guarantee you. And so a lot of people talk about the, you know, the passive income, mm-hmm. and we love passive income, but real estate under no stretch of imagination is ever a 100% passive. You always, even if you have a property manager, you got to manage your property manager. So it, there is a trade-off. It's just like a small business. Um, you can get, you can control and build greater returns with a small business potentially than you could by investing in somebody else's company that you have no control over. So you, it's a spectrum and it's a choice. And I am never anybody that tries to convince somebody to do real estate. I, I'm not dogmatic in that real estate is, um, is for everybody. I think investing is for everybody and you find the investment that's appropriate for your life and for your business acumen. So three years ago, you have no investments. What was your very first investment your, your, <laughs> in real estate? Yeah, my first investment in real estate, I bought a house for $30,000 and I put about $10,000 of my own money into it. I borrowed the 30, I put 10,000 of my own into it. And then about two or three months into it, I refinanced it and pulled all $40,000 that I was into it back out. And so now I have a $40,000 mortgage on it, but it rents for six fifty, dollars and it's probably worth about $60,000, $65,000. So I'm effectively into that property for $0. And that was my first investment. And it took me about three or four months to put the repairs into it, get it rented, and then do, to do that refinance and pull that, that, that debt back out and to take that money and then cycle. Wait, it. that's one of the you, to pull that debt back out. You, you didn't pull the debt back out. You pulled you pulled your equity. You pulled your investment back out. Correct. And and Cause I that, had because you still have debt. More. You still have a debt. You because now you oh, have yeah, a forty yeah. grand. So you still have the debt. But what you have is is your initial investment has come back. So your cash that you put into it, you've gotten right. back as a result Not, of increasing as money. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So, so the thing is, is that you needed the money for a while. You needed to put, how much did you put in? You got a $30,000 loan, but you put 10,000 in. Uh Okay. Got it. And then once the house was completely back to where it needed to be, and now it appraised at 60 K, you were able Mm -hmm. to get a $40,000 mortgage as a refi and you pulled your 10 K back out. So now it's almost as though you bought a $60,000 house with no money down. Is that correct? Correct. But I only bought it for 40. Right, exactly. So, and and now it's bringing in six hundred and some odd dollars per month, is what you said. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, gross, and then and net everything is probably a hundred dollars a month. But but how much is the mortgage on that house? Uh, good question. That one is probably uh, three hundred dollars. So three hundred, but so there's three hundred dollars for the mortgage. There's some taxes and some insurance. So mm-hmm. you're probably netting around $150, $200 a month on that piece of property. Yeah. And then you always want to put money away for repairs. So um, I, only, I, I consider that $100 of free cash flow. And then after I do all my allocations and QuickBooks and everything, I have money built up. All right. So that so now you so this is how many years ago did you buy this first this thirty thousand dollar three three years ago. <laughs> so three years ago. Okay. So obviously you're not, you and your family aren't ready to leave the day job with a hundred dollar free cash flow. No. Though, right. No, no, no. So so right. so, what was the next? I mean, what was the next property investment? Uh, I bought another property, almost the exact same terms, exact same price, and same scenario, same rent. And I still have that property. And then I did that, or I bought properties in that scale for the, about the first 10. And I, I bought something like, um, I bought like 10 properties in the first three months <laughs> that I started. 10 properties in the first, yeah. so, so you had all this cash to, to buy these things. I had some cash, but I only um, left cash into these properties. Well, I, I guess the, the interesting story, the next story is I bought a, a cluster of six properties together. 
Okay. And I bought that for no money in myself. I, I borrowed every from a private lender. I, I, I borrowed, I think, $120,000. A private and lender? Is that like some guy named Joey in the Bronx? <laughs> he could be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a, it's a big, most of us, we're conditioned when we want money, we go to the banks and we go to institutions to borrow money, but you can also buy or borrow from, from private individuals. And there's a whole kind of, I mean, that that's, I, I talk about that a lot in my podcast because there's a, that's a, a mostly uh, misunderstood and not w- well-known strategy is to, uh, is to basically create little, um, I call them like gaggles of, of investors, like a little cluster of five, six, ten people, and we all work together. And I'll lend money out of my IRA to them, and they'll lend money out of their IRA to me, and we basically help each other. And so we're all we're all making money, but sometimes it's it's it, it helps to have a third party come in and help you do an investment when you can't do it by yourself. And when it's not a bank, you can do things that banks won't aren't as flexible that will allow you to do. So. How many properties did you have before you started thinking about, I think I, I'd like to transition out of this day job? Okay. Oh, well, I, I was thinking about transitioning out of the day job it, the, the second I bought my first property. <laughs> it's uh, like instantly. Uh, I'm like, I got a hundred dollars free it. cash. Yeah, I did it to get out. Exactly. Um, and I wanted to be able to control my time. So um, I, I wanted to have $5,000 a month of residual income from, from real estate before I felt comfortable. Wait a second. $5,000 of residual, like $5,000 of free cash flow positive right. coming in. Right. Even though you have, you've, you still are leveraging a significant amount of debt for those properties. Is that correct? Correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just me wondering, you know, because there was this whole real estate, you know, crash 2007, Mm -hmm. 2008 kind of deal. Um, If I'm not mistaken, if I remember when I first was introduced to Dave Ramsey, I heard that, you know, one of the things that he learned the hard way is that he he was into, he was heavy into some real estate. But, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens in in a scenario where all of a sudden some mortgages start getting called in really fast? Have you thought about that? Is that or is that even an issue at this point? Well, that's one of the reasons I like to use uh, private lenders is that uh, they don't have the the control the way a traditional a commercial bank loan might have to where they can call the loan on you. Um, and also the 30-year fixed loans that, that we all get for our personal residences, which you can also get for investment property, cannot be called. Okay. They are set up. I mean, if as long as you're making payments, they can't call them on you. Good. Good. Okay. So, so the, so basically you have it set up to where the debt that you have, as long as you're continuing to pay payments on those, all of the debt that you have, you're not in danger of that stuff just being called in on one day. You know, it's like, Hey, we, we need, we need this money now. That's not going to be, that's not going to happen to you. Correct. And so there's, um, there are these things called commercial loans that do have the ability for them to be called on you. Yep. Um, and they have balloon known notes built into them. And I do have some of those, but I basically have, um, reserves that if you have cash on re- hand, right. Got it. Yeah, I, I have plans to handle that, but I don't have a lot of those. And I purposely have not grown that portfolio of commercial loans very big for that very reason, because a lot of people, got hurt 2008, 2009 because of that very reason. They were making their payments, but the banks weren't able to maintain their their terms because of what happened in their business. And so they started calling loans to make themselves. So banks are not necessarily on your side. They they are there to, to serve their purpose. But when, when, when their books are not going the way they're going to do and they have the right to call a note on you, they're going to. They're not going to, the relationship doesn't matter anymore. They, 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 the person you Well, they met, have to stay in business. They do, right. Right. Yeah. So I prefer to, to work with an arrangement where to set it up so that I'm working with what I call my financial friends, people who are in the business like me, and we are lending money to each other from our qualified retirement plans that are self-directed and we can lend money to each other. And all of that, it's so funny because I, here, I do remember you came to a Next Level Workshop and and um, I remember at at lunch one day you were saying talking to me about all the different things that were possible with my IRAs and stuff like this and mm-hmm. and I got to tell you you have a mind for what's legal what's possible and and creative ways to invest even if you're not interested in real estate you're you've got where do you, where did you come up with all of this stuff I mean how much how much time effort and energy do you spend in in immersing yourself in the study of investing? 
quite a bit. Uh, that, that is what I'm a student of is how to invest. So I, I've probably, I mean, I've always thought about it and, and, and invested in the stock market and looked at all that kind of stuff, but that's still on the scheme of things, pretty simple for a, a, a casual consumer like me. Um, one of the reasons I, I liked small business and real estate is the the casual consumer can start doing things that the big boys are doing that you just didn't know. I mean, they create the rules for themselves, but they apply to you as well. And so there's a the, the tax law in the U.S. is so complicated, but it is just rife with opportunities to effectively and legally not pay a lot of tax and still earn a lot of money. Paul, what and if so, I'm sorry? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I, what if somebody's like me? I, I I'm a guy who you know I, I I pay my taxes. I don't you know I don't look for the loopholes that I know that are there. And and I mean not just loopholes like you're looking to you know hide money and and sh- but just I I just know that there are some things that I could do instead of paying myself an extra hundred thousand dollars and paying thirty five percent tax on it at the end of the year. Right. I I know that I probably would have done better if I would just why don't I just take 70 K and just put, tuck it away and invest it in this thing over here. But quite frankly, I just don't know what those things are. I haven't got to the place where I've found anybody that I would trust that could direct me in that. If somebody were like me and just had no clue about investing at this point, it just hasn't been a priority. But now that my income, my income is consistently hitting one of those dollar figures every single year where it's like, okay, I know that I'm just throwing money out the window by allowing them to tax me all on all this profit. So mm-hmm. it's time to get serious. I don't know that I have enough. Well, I have a question for you. It's October, 2018. Do I have enough time to read or study any specific materials that could help me learn on what I could do with an extra, let's just say $80,000 versus paying myself that in profit at the end of the year? Sure. So in in your situation, given your experience level with investing, I would not, I mean, you're already investing heavily in yourself and your small business. Yeah. So I wouldn't take any of your time away from that to go do another small business, which is what real estate is. So in your case, I would take any extra cash available that you have, investable capital, I'll call it. Uh, you want to take that and you have a lot of earned income. So you want to shelter that as much as possible. While yes, that's what I'm talking about. I have, I have yeah. extra earned income beyond what I have needed to pay myself at the, throughout the year. Right. So you have, we all have access to an IRA based on income levels. There's, there's, it's a kind of complex subject, but anybody who is not putting money in an IRA needs to really consider why they're not and start doing so. And then there's, and these are just buckets. This is not where to invest. This is like types of, 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 of accounts that have certain tax advantages and IRA is one of them. In your case, you could also start either a SEP IRA and, and um, or probably better for you to be a solo 401k. Um, if you don't have any, I don't think your daughter's not working for you anymore. You don't have any um, nope. um, no employees, employees this year. Right. You could set up a 401k and you could stuff a huge amount of money into that solo 401k. You create a 401k plan just for you and your business uh, and do it this year. And you could put money into it for, for 2018. And depending on how much money you earn, you can you could put up to $54,000 a year into tax advantage into a solo 401k. Um, and your wife could do the same thing. If she has earned income at any time, she could have a solo, for, solo 401k in her business and she could do the same thing. And if she had enough income, she could stuff as much as $54,000 into her solo 401k as well. Would, she, point, would she need to start her own business? Yes. If she doesn't have one, she's not eligible. Okay. But anything that has active earned income is eligible. Gotcha. Yeah, and it has only one employee. So, so, so how does one how does one decide how to figure this stuff out? Who to go to to set up a solo four hundred one k? How how it, do you study? Do, can you study this somewhere? I or did do you, study. Yeah, so I what, did study. What, like where where <laughs> did you learn all of this stuff? So that was back to your original question you asked a few minutes ago was, you know, the time, effort and money you spent into it. And I did spend a lot of time. I probably went to 30 plus conferences and I've read hundreds of books. Um, and that's because I wanted to do become an expert in my, in my particular field. Uh, as a average consumer, you don't have to do all of that. Uh, so what I believe strongly is if you're going to do nothing else but just invest is to put your money max out your qualified retirement accounts with your available income and invest it into an index fund and just let it ride. Forget that it exists. Uh, 
Yep. Um, if if you're 40, 50 years old, put it in there and and dollar cost average into it for whenever you get your paychecks when you pay yourself. Put money into the index fund and forget about it. And you will wake up in a few years and I'm, I'm a millionaire. So, so what it sounds like for somebody like me is is I probably would be best following a qualified finding a qualified professional that I could trust, somebody that comes yeah. highly recommended, referred by people that I trust, and mm-hmm. say, hey, listen, I want to my fully qualified IRAs and and subfunded accounts. I want to put all this money in there. I know nothing about this right now, but I just want to start putting as much as I can possibly put into this. But mm-hmm. I do believe, from what I understand, that that I need to, I, and what I've been working on in my business, I, is that I need to get to the place where I'm able to, and I'm, I'm one of those guys who I don't mind that idea of I've actually, quote unquote, I'm self-employed and I've actually created and owned my own job. Sure. As, 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 there's some people that talk about that as being a bad thing. It's like, you're not a business owner. You don't own a business. You own a job. Whatever. I own a business. Uh, but yes, I do, I do work in my business. But I have gotten to the place where, you know what? 100% of all the income that's required for me is generated in under 10 hours a week. Anything sure. I work beyond that, which I do, is all, it is all optional income. It's all things that don't have to happen. So... I, what I'm getting to is the place where I think it's okay for me to to dump some money into some of these things that I have nothing about. But I I believe, and this is what I've been feeling convicted in my heart about, is that okay? It's time for me to get a little bit of, get a little serious about understanding how investing. I, I want to get in and start playing that game, if you will, uh, yeah. because because I realize I could do exactly what you're saying. I'm forty. I'm forty five years old. And I could just put my money there and pretend it doesn't exist and let it grow, mm-hmm. but but that's not gonna that's not going to give me the same benefits if I actually learn how the quote unquote real money game is played, right? And and make that a part of my understanding because this I look at the uh, what Tony Robbins does. You know, it's like he started out with you know he's just teaching seminars and seminars and seminars and seminars, and then all of a sudden he's investing in businesses and and. And now you look at most of his books that he's, I think the last three books are all about money mastering the game, you know? And so, and, and so I, I'm, I'm looking at that trajectory. I know that right now, 2018, probably not going to read a lot of investment books. 2019, <laughs> maybe the first year, if I was going to read a book on investing, my very first book to help me understand how investing works, Paul, what is the first book I should read? The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Now, is this going to be bent towards real estate market uh, investing? Not at all. Not at all. Um, no. <laughs> um, there will not be any mention of real estate in there okay. at all. It, it'll be all about the advice I just gave you, which was invest in index funds and let it ride. Okay. So what is that called again? I'll end my... Uh, the Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. The... I, I'm writing this down. The Simple Path to Wealth... By J.L. Collins. Got it. Cool. Well, that is, and, and you're saying that that'd be a great first book for me to read. Yes. And then we can go from there and, and stuff like that. Awesome. So, so you have been studying this stuff and so you developed this idea. I want to leave the traditional day job. And that was your path was to build all of this real estate investing on the side. But I happen mm-hmm. to know your story is that uh, while you had a transition plan, you wanted to get to this place where you had this comfortable, you know, nice <laughs> nest egg and stuff like that. Um, something happened that the the plan was accelerated a bit. Do you want to tell that story? Sure thing. Yeah. So I have I'm the, 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 to paint the picture here. I was aggressively working at building a stream of income that was sufficient to cover my living expenses. And I refer to that as pile passive income is greater than your living expenses. And I started off at $5,000 being my first number that I wanted to get to. When I got up close to this number, I thought, well, I'm I'm going off at a good enough clip here. I think I've got my head on square. Let's go ahead and just push it towards $10,000. And that way I can very comfortably retire, so to speak, from the traditional working world and be a full-time real estate investor. Well, um, I was considering doing that in January 2018, 
of this year, but November of last year, 2017, uh, I was, I was laid off from work. And so the, the very thing that I was afraid was going to happen sooner or later happened. And the greatest feeling and, and scenario around that is that it was actually, I would say the fourth happiest day of my life. Uh, it was after um, marrying my wife and having my two kids. The fourth happiest day of my life was a day that I actually was able to be free from a traditional working world job. And the only thing about that story that I don't like is that uh, somebody had to come by and push me off the cliff versus me actually jumping off the cliff myself. Uh, but I was um, in a scenario where I was waiting for the end of the of the year. So if there's there going to be a bonus or not to figure out, I was going to run my numbers and see if I was really ready. Um, turns out that they gave me a severance, which was is bigger, larger than the, than the bonus. And the company that I worked for didn't give out the bonus that year. So they, it worked out for the best. I mean, I couldn't be happier about how it worked out. But it's something that I think a lot of us are. We know that um, that that's potential for us. Or if it's not a potential for us because you're in a very secure position, we're in a dynamic world where work is not what it used to be. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in building some sort of side hustle, um, some sort of business on the side, or investing aggressively, saving and investing aggressively, so that you have control of your own finances, and then you have the power on your side of the. Of, of the ledger so that you don't have to have to um, be beholden to a boss anymore. And so it's really interesting when you have that kind of financial power and strength in your own personal finances, how you behave at work changes profoundly. You actually become a better employee. If yeah. you want to do a good job, you become a better employee because you don't take all the gruff anymore because you're not worried about whether they're going to fire you or not. And, and you actually do a better service to them, I think. Yeah. And the idea here isn't that, you know, with, it, with investing and building a side house, it doesn't mean that you desperately want to leave the day job or that you will leave the day job. There are some people who are very, very pleased with the work that they do. Uh, I, I help a lot of people, as you know, start and grow their online businesses. And not everybody is fed up with their day job. There are some people that, quite frankly, it's, being self-employed is just not their thing. And sure. also, being retired and being extremely wealthy and having no work to go to is not their thing. It's like they, they want something. It's kind of like me. It's like, you know, I keep hearing people say, well, gosh, Cliff, the idea of being the entrepreneur is that you own this business that you never have to work in. And then all of a sudden you just let people manage that business and you go start another business and, and, and you, and you grow that to where you never have to work. in. it's like, well, wait a second. Then all of a sudden, what, what do I get to do? Why do mm -hmm. all these people get to have all the fun and and I don't get to work? All I get to do is manage people who are managing my businesses. That that yeah. that to me that doesn't sound appealing. I want I love to get in my office and do the work that I'm doing. And I've heard people say, "Well, gosh, if you really had all of the money, if you if you could have all the money you wanted, you you never had to work a day in your life, would you get up and still do what you're doing today?" And I I'm actually in a place where the answer to that question, I believe, is yes. I, of course, it's hypothetical because I still, I, I'm still in a place where I'm not "quote unquote" independently wealthy. So I mm -hmm. still, there's for me, I do still need to show up for me to have the money at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. So, and I understand the value of building more and more towards the fact of and investing and and setting things up to where it's not there. But I, I still wonder if I, I I'd like to say that I'm at a place where the kind of work that I'm doing today, I would still do it. And, and I, can, I can almost give some indicator of that because, well, there are things that I do in my business that quite frankly are not profitable, but I still do them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, like, it's like, yeah, I love this. And I, I just had a next level workshop where I did not promote it and market it at all. And two people were registered and I'm like, hey guys, I want to offer you your money back if you guys are upset that it would be just myself and the two of you. And, you know, if if, if you were hoping that there would be a whole entire small group of people here, uh, but if you're up for it, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, if it's just one of you, I'll be here. And both of them said, Cliff, dude, seriously, we get it. We, there's just two of us in you. Heck yeah. Sign me up. I'm there. And all the better, right? <laughs> exactly. And so what normally, if I would have, if I, if I would have marketed that, 
uh, at the same time I was marketing Free the Dream, I that would have been a $28,000 weekend with 14 people here, right. but it was a $4,000 weekend. Now, the, the quite frankly, $4,000, I know that for a lot of people, and gosh, for me 10 years ago to think that, oh my gosh, I could make $4,000 in one, one and a half day event, that would be incredibly mm-hmm. awesome. But mm-hmm. to me, that's almost, a, that's actually operating at a loss compared to yep. what I could have done that day. Sure. Uh, but I chose to do it and I loved it and it was life-giving. And, and so I'd like to say that, yeah, if, if I had all, if I was independently wealthy, I'd still be hosting next level workshops every other month or something like that. I and see I, that. I do. I, That's consistent with your personality. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you get let go. It's the fourth happiest day of your life. Mm-hmm. How much cash flow did you have at the time? Like positive cash flow? Oh, 6,000 a month, I would say. And how many properties? How many properties did you own at that time? Twenty-five. Twenty-five properties. Um, mm-hmm. how, how many? How much of that is residential, and how much of that is commercial? It's all residential. All residential. So mm-hmm. these are these are single family homes. Single family houses. Yep. So, and, and did you say twenty-five? Yes, yeah, twenty-five. Yep. All right. Now, how are you personally responsible for? For management of these properties, or at this point, are you hire, Do you have a, a man? I have a manager for most of them, uh, or for a lot of them. Um, the the way I tend to do management is the the lower class income that the houses are, they tend to have a lot more headaches, and I, I'll I'll hire property managers for that. But the higher class income neighborhoods um, tend to be much lower maintenance and really easy to manage. And so I'll tend to self-manage those because I, those are properties I've had for a while. I've had tenants in there for multiple years. Some some of the houses I've I inherited the tenant and then they've yet to, to move. So I've had the same person for three years. So that's $6,000 cash flow posit- positive. Is that after taxes and insurance and mortgage? That's net free, net free cash flow, yeah. Net free, cl- that's pretty darn amazing. And yep. and that's owning twenty five homes, but you have a, a you have a manager that's taking care of, and and of course that's net above even the management fees. Is that correct? Correct. That's net of everything. Yep. Net of everything. Sweet. But the thing is, is you still ha- you do have you're responsible for twenty five different homes. Correct. You know, and correct. of course you also have to you have the insurance. But man, if a tornado, do, do you intend? Now this is the I'm an I'm a prior insurance agent. Do you yeah. intentionally? Do you intentionally geographically separate those homes from each other by several miles? No, they they are geographically uh, separate. But the, I I look for where there's a good neighborhood and I find a good deal, and and, and it's in a uh, operating area domain see, where I have resources. See, the, the one thing I would do is I would make sure that and if I if I own 25 different homes, I would want to mm-hmm. make sure that none of those homes were within five miles of each other. And of course, I live in tornado country. So it's like, I'm well, thinking, so do we, so do we. Yeah. I, I just had, uh, but what you find is, especially in the, uh, on, on the um, non-residential side, what, what I mean by that is um, the, the, business side of, of insurance is you don't have problems with claims as much as you do on the personal side. Um, and I, I just had a claim on my personal house. It was a nightmare. I had a, a claim on unrelated events. Um, I had a claim on one of my re- uh, rental properties and it was a, a big claim and it took a little while, but I actually, I would say netted uh, came out ahead and it wasn't my a game to come out ahead. It just has the way it works. Oftentimes is you get a claim. You know, my claim was $50,000 net of depreciation, everything. I got a $40,000 check and to actually do all the work doesn't cost me $40,000. That that's just the quote that a contractor gave while they were there. Right. And, you know, and then they I wrote a check for what that contractor said the appraised work would be. Right. And then you went and did the work for much less. Right. Right. And which is, and insurance companies know that they're, they don't have a problem with it. Um, so long as you are not causing the damage yourself and you're, it's a legitimate claim. It's just part of, of the business. Yeah. And, and well, so they know that the contractor I, has to make a profit as well. Yeah, and if exactly. you're doing your own contracting, then I'm making a profit. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, how many property, how many properties do you own today? Still 25. I, I, like to, I tell people it's not about how many properties you have; it's how much cash flow you have. And so, it's a, a lot of people will will uh, 
kind of walk around with pride about how many units they have. And that's a very common question people ask. Well, how many units do you have? I have 90, I have 60. Um, it, it's kind of irrelevant because you can have 100 properties and they're all losing money and you're not, not a good investor. Um, I would rather have 10 properties that are fully paid for and giving me $10,000 a month of income than 100 properties that have 90% leverage that are giving me $10,000 of income. Um, what would you rather have, 10 or 100, but the same on income? Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, the thing is, is talking to you, because Stephanie and I were thinking, it's like the house that we lived in before we moved here. Obviously, we we were not in a position, I, I, my business was still taking way too much of my time for me to right, even think about. Plus with it. Yeah, yeah. it just, it, it was easy for us to just sell it. And of course, we we took that 20K in, in equity and, and went to Europe for a family vacation. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, we we earned it. Uh, so the thing is, is that, but I, but I, we were just talking about the fact that I wonder if it's not time for us to look into this idea of buying a rental property, just our first rental property, mm-hmm. and and you're you're giving me ideas here of because I, I don't have to be a quote unquote real estate investor to really benefit from just owning my first piece of property and, and just dabbling in this. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits to it. I mean, I, I will never try and sell anybody on the idea that it's that it's easy or that it's uh, has no headaches. Um, so people say, well, people will mess up your house. Yeah, well, there will also be people who will steal from a from from Walmart, but Walmart still makes their makes it makes a living. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, every business that you have is going to have some sort of complexity, some sort of problems that you have to solve for, but you plan on it going into it. You're not surprised that the, the unforeseen could happen. You, you, that's why you have insurance. That's why you um, buy right. That's always the catch is people, when they get started, the mistake they make is they just buy the house that they would want to live in and they would pay their going retail rate. The amount that you buy for your house and what I buy for a, a, the similar size house is a completely different equation. I'm not looking at comps for what people are buying it for. I'm, I'm looking at how much cash flow can it generate. If it can't generate cash flow, I don't buy it. Right. So before you, what kind of, I, I, I had um, Casey Price yeah. on last week. I don't know if you listened to that episode or not. I've heard it, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. So, so I want to I go back in time with you for a little bit as well. And I just want to know, what kind of jobs did you have before your, what did you say, engineering, uh, computer engineering? Computer engineering, yeah. And, yeah. and your middle management of this telecommunications company, what yeah. what jobs did you have? What, what was your first job that you ever had where somebody paid you money consistently to do that kind of work? Uh, the, the computer engineering type work? No, 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 no. First just, job just where, like, oh, I don't, like first I thing this. you got paid money to do. The summer job type stuff. Okay. Yeah. The first one was I worked at a barbecue joint. It was called Briley's Barbecue. And uh, I, I accidentally bumped into somebody at a parking lot and I, and, and I, it was my fault. And, and I had to earn some extra income to pay for my, my family's deductible. For so I had to go get a, I was like 16, I had to go get a job. Um, and I got it at a barbecue joint and I can't remember how much I made, but it was minimum wage. And uh, I, I learned a lot about um, barbecue and, and I probably couldn't eat it again for probably two years after working there. But today, do you like, like during Memorial Day or do you ever smoke some, some ribs or anything like that, that, that you learned back then, uh, like a special secret? Did I take the skills from there? Um, no, no, I did not. It I just mean, wasn't I, your thing. I, <laughs> no, I, I, he was very careful. He had a very professional, um, high end rig, which, which he had like, you know, he would, and they would cook like these briskets for like 18 hours. So it was on a scale over and above what any normal person does in their backyard probably. Yeah. All right. So what, what other kinds of odd jobs did you the have? The funniest one is I worked for a very short time at an ostrich farm in or outside of Texarkana, Texas, where I grew up. And I didn't know there was one there, but sure enough, there are, there was an ostrich farm and I was the, the high school guy that they would call out on the weekends to, um, to scoop the poo, um, ostrich poo. So that was easily the worst job ever. And you had to be really careful because it turns out an ostrich, like a full grown ostrich can kill a man. Um, so you, you had to be, and they were mean. And so you really had to be careful about how, (laughs) how to, um, where you had to be. I mean, you had to treat them like, like a, like a, a savage animal. I mean, you could not be in the pen with them if they didn't know you because they would, did not like you. So I have a question for you. You, you, it's an ostrich farm and, and it's so funny because I 
don't think I've ever thought of an ostrich as being outside of a zoo. So yeah, me either. So 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 what do you do to farm an ostrich? I mean, I mean, is it is this a? a it was for the meat. Also, they so it's they farm it for the food for food yep. source for the meat. Yeah, it's. It, I'm not sure if it's as big as it used to be, but for a while, emu and ostrich meat was a big was all the rage, and everybody was talking about that was going to be the next big like turkey or chicken or something that that we that the U.S. was going to be a big consumer of, but it didn't really take off. Huh? I would have never guessed. Did Nobody you, else did, did either. <laughs> did, did you ever eat some did, as as an employee there? Did you benefit no. from some ostrich steaks or anything? No, I, no, I didn't. I probably worked there for uh, three or four weeks. I went. And I, I did not like it, so I did not go back. Yeah, it didn't taste like chicken. It, it was a reinforcement of why I was um, go, studying and going to college for sure. Gotcha. Cool. So, uh, what is, what is it that? How early on did you? Were you introduced to this world of people out there who said, "You know what? I don't want the day to the day to day grind. I, I don't want to depend on this." Uh, where if one day they decided to let me go, all of a sudden I'm I'm destroyed financially. When were you first introduced to that way of thinking? That's a good question. So I, I've always thought about wanting to do my own business or wanting to do something on my own, but I was always short on ideas. In fact, you talk about insurance. I looked into like buying an insurance agency and going down that route, but I couldn't help but feel like I was going to be just buying myself my own job. Um, I, I wanted to start a business where I was the person serving somebody else. And I'd never really had an idea or of something that I felt I had an expertise in. And so then I went in down the management track of, of the corporate America job. And I learned a lot of really good skills there. Um, but it was this idea of I went up the corporate ladder and I realized that I didn't, I didn't really like the, the wall I was on. But I learned a lot of those uh, really um, r- appropriate, useful skills there about how to manage people and how to think about business and money. And so I thought, well, I can take a lot of that and I can go in buy a little property and see if I'm good at it, see if I can, can get it right. And then once I became really good at real estate, um, I later developed the the terminology to the nomenclature from the the book, The, um, the Big Leap, that that was my zone of excellence, but it was not my zone of genius. My zone of genius is much more about uh, learning something new and showing somebody else how to do something. Um, somewhat akin to what, what you're doing in your business, but mine tends to be more, more I guess, technical, I guess. Um, more, more specific and less, less mindset, I guess. Um, and so that became something that I found I enjoy. And so I, I separate this idea of work and employment. So when I'm doing my, my real estate thing, I'm doing my employment. That's what's keeping me employed. That's what keeping me, um, you know, the, the, the bills paid. But then when I work in my current business now where I'm coaching, consulting other people who are wanting to invest in real estate, that's when I come alive. And that's when I, um, I'm doing what I'm called to do on the service is to help other people arrange their finances so that they can lead the life of their own design. And so I'm very much a believer of design the life that you want and then figure out a way to generate income around that. We have that all backwards in America. We, most of us go and we find our a job and then we try and fit our life in around our job. And that is it. That is necessary and appropriate in certain circumstances, but in this modern day, that isn't necessary anymore. With the, with the technology that you and I are using right now, you can connect to people all over the world. Well, they say that that your your life will be the direct reflection of the expectations of your peer group. So yeah. there was a time when your corporate job and everybody understood that my the the source of my income is from the work I do here 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Right. But something happened somewhere for you that all of a sudden you start, you mentioned that you've gone to so many conferences and to mm-hmm. learn about investing and specifically even re- real estate investing. So right. my guess is that something shifted for you somewhere where you started to to change the people who influenced you the most. And it sounds to me like you began to get to have a lot of influence from people who quote unquote didn't need the day job, whether they had one or not, that's completely irrelevant. But the right. fact is, is that you started doing life with people who didn't need it anymore financially to survive. When did that happen for you? And how long from when you first started to surround yourself with the influence of those people, did you actually escape into that lifestyle? That's a really uh, astute um, observation because that's the greatest benefit that I've gotten from pursuing financial independence, pursuing uh, becoming a real estate 
investor is the people that I found during the process. My best friends in the world now are people that I, that I have self-selected through because when I would go to these conferences, the greatest benefit, the people that you, the, the, the best benefit you get to the conferences, yeah, you learn something from, from, the, from the people who are teaching you, but it's the people that you sit next to and the people you go to the bar with afterwards, people you have lunch with the next day, the relationships that you forge there, those are, those are your peer group. And those are the people that if you play it right, can be um, really influential in your life, both professionally, but then just personally in your mindset and the kind of conversations you have, those have become my friends. I, if I could be a professional conference goer and like can get paid doing it, I, I mean, I would do it because I love going to conferences because they, the people who are willing to put up the money to go to a conference and learn, there are a completely different um, selection of, of, of the world. And it's a lot of people who listen, sit around and listen to podcasts that are trying to make them better. Like what you, I make, what you make, what, all, what the, the circle that we're in, um, the people who listen to this, all the listeners that are on here, you're trying to get better. And those are the kind of people that if you surround yourself with by going to conferences where they already are, your life just takes on a whole new level, which is why I sought out a mastermind is why you create a mastermind. So that's the whole benefit of it, right? It is exactly that. And in the last few moments here, I'd love to ask you real quickly, uh, what was it, when did you first hear about the Next Level Mastermind and how long from the first time you heard about it did you decide to submit an application? Uh, good question. So I, I was, I think I was laid off in November and I joined in December. So I learned about it somewhere between November when I was laid off to um, December when I joined. Uh, and I, what's funny is I think we, you and I were talking last time we were in face to face and we put it together that I found you through the virtual assistant podcast that you had. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't a, a podcast guy at all. I mean, I listened to podcasts, but I wasn't a podcast producer and the virtual assistant podcast that you had for a while is, is one of the things I listened to when I was building my real estate business and I was hiring virtual assistants. So I was, going out and learning what other people thought about how to do it. And somehow I came across your, your content. I wish I knew exactly, exactly how, but based on that, I got on your, uh, your newsletter and, and the rest is history. So I love that. I love that story because, and, and I have had so many t- people over the past eight years tell me, Cliff, I first found you through the virtual assistant podcast. Now these, really? yeah, and, and I'm talking, when I say th- people, I'm talking people who on average have paid $2,000 or more for one of my products or services mm-hmm. have said, Cliff, I first found you through the virtual assistant podcast, which by the way, I did 38 podcast episodes, 38 weekly episodes of the virtual assistant podcast. I have not produced a single episode of that podcast since December 2010. We're almost eight years ago. Well, and Paul, every single month today, like this month, October 2018, that will that podcast will gain about 100 to 200 new subscribers this month. And those 100 to 200 subscribers will listen to all 38 episodes. Mm, and, interesting. If, and if you listen to the last three episodes, I knew that the last three episodes were going to be the last three episodes. And Remember, so yeah. I kept hammering it. You want to continue to follow me. This is where you're going to find me and, and keep following. And, and as a result of that, by episode 30, you know, 36, 37, 38, you've come to know, like, and trust me. And if you're, um, mm-hmm. if you're listening to 38 episodes, by the end of it, it's like, okay, how can I not continue to learn more from this guy? Right. And so, yeah, I, I love that. And so here you are, a member of the Next Level Mastermind, which ha- so far to date, this has been the most profitable venture that I've ever done. It's the, the Next Level Mastermind is the first time I've had significant recurring revenue in my business. So mm-hmm. that, you know, you will have been in the Next Level Mastermind and two months you will have been in it for an entire year. So I've got to ask you, um, I know that we did the whole, you know, Brady Bunch style Mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, $12,000 invested in one year in the Next Level Mastermind. Have you gotten a return on your investment? I I, I think I have, or I wouldn't have stayed, but um, for, for, but I I never had any doubts that that I would, Cliff. Um, Most of these things that you put, uh, if you put into it what you want to get out of it, you're going to get a return on investment. Um, Even if I had never heard anything new from you, I've learned things from the other members of the group. I've heard, I've learned plenty of new things from you, but the point is that I, when you get that many people together and they're so, um, 
encouraging and so um, dedicated to the benefit of everybody else in the group, it's kind of hard not to win. And so, it, and, but yet what's interesting is it's really hard to take a direct one-to-one, I put this thousand dollars in this month and I got this re- result. It's more of an, on an aggregate level. It's, I started a podcast and I've produced 30 something uh, episodes now. I'm about to start another podcast and I feel comfortable doing it. I have no doubts, even if I get stuck, I know that I can say, hey, mastermind, I got into myself, myself into way more than I, I need some help. Do you have some resources? And I have found, <clears throat> pardon me, I found resources and people that I now hire um, for my personal business that I wouldn't have found otherwise. I, I never would have come across Peter. Peter's a guy I use. And in, in, in fact, I think he's gotten so successful with the Next Level Podcast referrals that he stopped taking clients. I mean, he's, yeah. he's that kind of busy, um, which is, you know, he's, so how many people have you helped by the, the, by the influence that you've had through other people? It's, it's profound. It is profound and it's exciting. The one thing that I love about the mastermind, it's that whole idea. You can accomplish more in one year than you would ever dream of accomplishing without the mastermind in a lifetime. And the, the, th- I mean, I think about, if, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but one of your biggest challenges recently, it's almost, for me, it's laughable because what you're, you're experiencing is, is what most people don't experience with their podcast until seven or eight or nine years. Uh, right. You, you, like within months of you launching your podcast, you were elevated to a place where you were invited to be a guest on the on your industry, your industry, the real estate investing market, the mm-hmm. top number one podcast in the market, and right. you were brought on as an expert guest mm-hmm. in that podcast. You, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so the, what he's talking about is a bigger pockets podcast, and that's for real estate investors. They're kind of like what I would call the Facebook of real estate investors. Um, they're a social network and a training um, location, and they have a, a huge following on their podcast. It's very well produced. They bring in a lot of really interesting guests and uh, from all walks of life. And I was invited to be. And what was interesting is I wasn't. Most people apply to be on that podcast. I, because I went to conferences, because I had been investing and be, developed uh, expertise, I was invited by one of the co-hosts to be a guest on there. And so, and I never had any agenda to be on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I had no plan of action that, for which I knew I would get there. Uh, but what I did have three years ago is I wanted to be worthy of somebody who could be on that podcast, whether I was or not, I, I'm not sure I, I really had a plan for, but I wanted to be somebody who had the the business acumen and the experience level and the credibility to be on a national podcast like that. And the interesting thing is because you were on a podcast, the number one podcast in your industry, you already had a podcast, so you had the opportunity to plug your podcast. I did, yeah. And and you had a significant windfall of new people who subscribe to your show who instantly says, wow, Paul David Thompson expert in this industry that you mm-hmm. you had this credibility by association in fact in the fact that you were a, a, an invited guest on this industry leading show and now you've got this great content and you did like i said you had a, an extremely well produced great sounding piece of 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 weekly content that sound great from episode one. And so it's just like naturally grown for you. And what I love is that you you come away with that out, out of the gate, like within months of actually- Yeah, it's kind of unfair, right? <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden, and, and the, you came to a hot seat. It's like, listen, guys, I get I get invited on, but man, you know, it, it, it's, I won't say the language that you used, but it was so funny. It's like, I, I go on these shows and I get this response. It's like, but that's a great response. It's like, yeah, but right. it's nothing. It's like, but do you know how many people have to wait years before they get the opportunity to be on, to be on a bigger pockets. I mean, it's I like, appreciate it. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, your expectations were your your standard. Unfortunately, my standards got, are very high. Yeah, your yeah. standards I, I, I got set so high. It's because of the of being around people like you in the mastermind. Yeah, they, you see people doing things, and you're like, you know, my expectations are of that of my peer peer group. I, mean, I I need to be doing better. And by any reasonable comparison to other people who are just starting in trying to be an influencer in their space. It's a lot of work to, to build a blog, a YouTube channel, 
a podcast, any sort of platform, it takes a lot of work consistently, sometimes for years at a time before you get even half of the the following that I've well, gathered in the next few months. Well, here's the thing. It's so funny because you are today an influencer in your industry. And three years ago, you didn't even have an investment property. I didn't. No. Okay. And now get this. I'm an influencer in my industry, right? Yeah. And three years ago, I did not have a $1,000 a month paid mastermind group. And I've mm-hmm. actually been building my brand. I've been producing weekly content, my friend, for 12 years. Wow. I, how, many, how many podcast episodes have you produced? 35 or something. 30, yeah, a lot. 30, <laughs> 35 episodes. I've produced over 3,700 weekly podcast episodes before I launched my $1,000 a month mastermind group. And today, yep. do you or do you not have, as an influencer, already a mastermind group where people are paying you $1,000 a month to have access to you and the people that, uh, uh, other real estate investors? I do. And it's the single most fun thing I do because I get to connect with people on a level that you just simply can't with with a course or with, I mean, I have a course too, but um, I, I like to serve people how I can and what they're comfortable with and what the people, people love. But when you get a group, a small group of people like that together that you meet with, meet with for an hour or so every week, you just become friends on a level that you can't in any other scenario that I know of. But I, I just, I just love that the fact that you've in it hasn't even been one year, and you've already achieved all of these things. And I just, I, I love it. That's why I created the Next Level Mastermind. Like, listen, you know, the the number one thing people have told me over the years is Cliff. I want to do exactly what you did. And I'm like, I don't want you to do exactly what I did. <laughs> <It's too hard. laughs> you trust me. I, I, what you want are the results. Right. And I can tell you how to get them so much faster than the way I did it. And yeah, that, so I, yeah, I love it. Hey, real quickly, where can people find you and what can they find if they actually seek you out? Sure thing. So my website is, pauldavidthompson.com and on there you can find um, a podcast if you want to subscribe to it or any of the services that I that I offer that helps people become in a better investor. And so the, the takeaway I would have for anybody listening to this is regardless of the asset class you want to be in, that doesn't matter so much. What matters is that you should be saving a part of what you're earning and you need to be investing it. And that's just not a message people in America hear enough is that's the reason I call my podcast ready investor one, no matter what, it's always going to be about how to invest in yourself, invest in your network and invest in your, your financial wherewithal by investing into assets that are making money for you while you're sleeping, whether or not you're employed or worked or are working. Awesome. Paul David Thompson.com member of the Next Level Mastermind. And of course, there are in our AM group still two spots available, although some applications are starting to roll in. So if you guys are interested, nextlevelmastermind.info. Paul, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you, I guess, tomorrow. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you go, my friends. That's another episode in this series of conversations with people that I've had the blessing to work with through the products and services that I offer pauldavidthompson.com. Make sure you go check out what he has to offer, especially if you're interested in learning a little bit more in investing in yourself and your financial future. I know that uh, I am consistently being influenced by Paul throughout our weekly conversations uh, that we have. And um, again, just want to point out that you can apply for the Next Level Mastermind over at nextlevelmastermind.info. And also want to let you know, if you head over to cliffravenscraft.com, you should now be able to see on the Work With Me page all of the different various ways that we can work with one another, even if the Next Level Mastermind may not be a great fit for you. So just head over to cliffravenscraft.com, just click the Work With Me tab, and there is a growing list of opportunities for you to benefit either with me one-on-one directly through live events, workshops, and conferences, and maybe you might actually see a digital product or two, maybe the virtual ticket to the Free the Dream conference, and I am actually contemplating an online course uh, related to something that I've had a lot of success teaching face-to-face through workshops. So not going to say much more than that except to tease that something is coming soon. Always be heading over to cliffravenscraft.com. Click work with me. 
on the, on the tab there over on the website and you just may see some new stuff pop up over the next several weeks and months ahead. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.